Now this is the way to start the day. Just call me Dipset. Too bad, Sludge. No juice for you. Let's slam him, stranger. Why, time? He's obsessed with these ultras. We need blend our way on no man. Primeval, attack! Let's force it. And welcome back to the Ultra Monthly Podcast, the premier Ultraverse podcast, the greatest way to start your day. I am your host, Mark Truex, and with me as always, co-host of the show, Cowardly Clyde of the podcast, if you would, Jeff Budd. You know, I was like, how is he going to tie me into the Ripfire universe? And then you just said co-host, and I was feeling good about it, and then, damn it, Clyde. Yeah, you gonna go call the cops, Bud? Huh? Well, I mean, I don't. I'm not gonna let my body be taken over by an alien in the first place. None of this uh, jived with me. You don't want to be a god, bro. I don't know. He was reminding me. You ever see the movie Star Kid? Growing up, where the kid had to be in that alien battle suit. Dude, that was epic, though. I don't know. When he ate the cheeseburger and he took all like the tasty parts out of it, so that it was like nutritious, and then shoved it in the kid's mouth. Ugh, frightful. Who wants a nutritious cheeseburger? It's like being force-fed a Beyond Burger with no meat options. Yeah, if you're ordering a cheeseburger, then you've already made the decision that it's not going to be a nutritious meal. (laughs) Uh, Dude, I don't care. You're not a bro god. Done. No, I I just... No, the the aliens were too (laughs) shady right off the bat. It's like, uh, (laughs) do I get control of my body back? Uh, I don't know. Listen. I mean, this is kind of mine now. And then, yeah, it was a lot of, like, sweet pillow talk until they were actually in control of the body, and then it was like, shut up. <laughs> consent. <laughs> All shut I up. need is consent. <laughs> Sign this paper. <laughs> Martin, will you stop distracting me? We're in the middle of a battle. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. And listeners, welcome to the show. <laughs> Tonight we're going to be talking about Ripfire, the uh, the one-shot zero issue, which was actually a culmination of a couple different Ultraverse premiere snippets with an extra little bonus round fourth uh, story in the back end. Uh, but that'll be later on here this evening during our Ultra Focus. Uh, before we get there, though, uh, Jeff and I... Got a little news watch to discuss, where we went and pilgrimaged to San Diego Comic Fest for the first convention back from no conventions for the Ultra Monthly Podcast. Jeff, how how was it, sir? It was good to be back, man. That was the convention that we had gone to right before all the, the COVID shutdowns, and then it's you know the first one that you and I together have been able to be in person again so yeah it was just nice to be there you know be on the floor looking at merchandise going to the panels you know walking around the hotel i love it i love the entire experience it's just cool to be around you know comic book fans again and actually beyond comic books all sorts of cool sci-fi stuff because the gene roddenberry anniversary yeah i I felt like this time around there was actually a lot of like sci-fi tv tie-ins but it was all like old school nerdum sci-fi geek stuff you know yeah all like the emphasis on blade runner and stuff like that and yeah of course star trek i mean star trek has all its own conventions so of course you know there's plenty of material to take up as much of san diego comic fest if they wanted to yep lots of starship troopers sprinkled in 
Yeah, because there was a lot of like cool anniversaries and stuff too. Yeah, for us here on the Ultra Monthly, we got to squeeze in a little bit of Ultraverse and Malibu Comics while we were there Always. as well. Yeah, so listeners, if you had checked out our last episode, uh, number forty-two of the Ultra Monthly podcast, where we went over our top ten covers, uh, we also had an interview with with Chairman from San Diego Comic Fest, Matt Dunford, and got to talk about all the different collaborators and people that have kind of worked in the Ultraverse that were going to be there. And so we did get a connect with one of them, who was actually the guest of honor at this year's show, and that is Peter David. So Peter David's most known for his work on like Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man 2099, Young Justice, and uh, kind of true to fashion on some of these shows, when, when I approached the guest of honor... Uh, not being terribly familiar with the rest of his body of work except in title. <laughs> and bringing him a Prime versus the Incredible Hulk, which he helped plot uh, to get his signature, was was met with uh, much apathy. <laughs> I will say. It was, it was good to get his take on uh, the entire process. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really cool when you get to meet some of these creators. Obviously, this was a long time ago, and... Um, some people just kind of passed in and out of the Ultraverse getting to play with it. Uh, but people are usually with the fondness, like, oh, yeah, that that's so cool. Peter Day was like, ah, all right. <laughs> like, I don't really remember. I don't remember it. I don't remember it. Well, like, what did you, like, do? Like, I don't know. Like, all right, fair enough. <laughs> and, I mean, I yeah, I get it. You know, Marvel made me do it. Like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He, that he remembered. <laughs> yeah. Naturally, it was the crossover time, <laughs> since uh, you know the Hulk was in it. But you, yeah, know, what? you know what? I got news for you, man. The Hulk sucks. So, ooh, go. shots fired. More of a sludge guy. Not an interesting character. Never been crazy on the Hulk. Are we drawing a line right now? <laughs> I'm actually a bigger She-Hulk fan. Uh, not too excited about the show that's coming out, but I always. You know, I mean, she had, like, a personality, so I liked her a lot more. I also kind of like the Hulk cartoon from the 90s, because She-Hulk was a bigger character in it. And I love Cree Summer, and I loved her voice as uh, She-Hulk. I've been mm. thinking about that show a lot ever since the, the trailer came out for the new series. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't watched the trailer yet. Uh, I've seen a lot of mixed emotion on it. Oh, see, I haven't seen too much mixed emotion. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Damn. Uh, much like Peter David had a little bit one feeling <laughs> about his his brief stint across the Ultraverse. But you know what? I got him to sign those copies anyway, including the limited edition foil print one, which was neat. I mean, he, he signed everything and was nice about that, I guess. I mean, <laughs> we've had other problems, so we'll take what we can get. At the end of the day, he signed it. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank you, guest of honor Peter David. And I mean, he wasn't like overly mean or anything. He just he really had nothing to say about it, <laughs> other than that Marvel made him do it. Yep. <laughs> well, cool for as far as guests go of the show, a surprise, a development that came after our last episode came out is that one Larry Niven was in attendance at San Diego Comic Fest as well. And listeners, if Larry Niven's name is familiar, it's because he 
was actually tapped at the very beginning of the founding of the Ultraverse, back when we hear about those tales of uh, the weekend in Scottsdale and and coming up with planning the Bible and things like that. And and Larry Niven, who is a prolific science fiction writer, uh, he wrote The Ring Worlds, which I got to read up before meeting him and get some books signed on that, which was really cool. Awesome. Um, yeah, super nice guy. And he was kind of tasked with helping create some of the uh, the infrastructure of this world. He he's big yeah, on world building concepts that Ex- you can build off of. Exactly. Yeah. And so when the founding fathers were getting together, you know, there was a lot of different people to kind of reached out to in in creator realms to get some kind of like advice and insight. And it's actually from Larry Niven the concept that the God Wheel ultimately, you know came to fruition and spawned out of was this was this idea of um the what's it called it's a alderson disc which is kind of like a play off of some similar things that were found like in his ring world series about like different like massive space structures uh that that can support different life and and stars and things like that which is really cool so help tapped and, and create some of the the thoughts around the ultraverse uh, which was really neat to get to meet him and just kind of talk about not only Ringworld, but like some of his time with the Ultraverse crew way back when, like, right? This is just inklings. It was a twinkle uh, in, in the Founding Father's eyes, right? <laughs> Ultraverse back then. Uh, getting to meet a guy that kind of helped guide some of the creative process uh, to where that was headed. Was super kind of help contribute to the foundation of which they could build upon. Like here are some you know general concepts that could work, and then you know with the collaboration of the creators and and everybody's like imagination and stuff, they were able to build off of that, which was you know really awesome. Because there's some really cool concepts as far as you know what is sort of the the background of what sort of powers the Ultraverse in a sense. You know, like as far as origins and things, and um. It's just kind of been cool in different titles to see where they've gone from like those first stages. Mm-hmm. Really neat, and it was cool to hear uh, talking with him about it too, because you know he he was helping with some of this stuff and these concepts early on, but he never actually wrote a book. He never wrote rather a an Ultraverse title, and it turns out he did actually have something penned up that he had been working on originally that just ultimately never saw the light of day. Is um I think it was called like the Archers, and and uh, some of that I would love to somehow find more glimpses into like what that narrative would have been like uh, if he could have ultimately penned it and released it. You know, I know the Ultraverse is done for the moment, lives on here at the Ultra Monthly Podcast, but always want to be able to and find out. That's right. But if I can find some unpublished works, ooh. Keep it That's what running. I'm I just I want to know more about just like the general mythos of the Ultraverse and what some of the other plans were. I mean, like I wish you know we they could almost go back in time and it's like have a set amount of years that it's like this is how long it's going to last for. It's like what then could the stories be? I mean, it, you know, it's impossible, but it would have mm-hmm. been kind of cool to see. Better yep. than anything that's produced today. Yeah, but that goes without saying. And that's why we keep diving back in. Yeah. Time and again. God, ain't that the truth? Yeah. Time and again. Yeah. So, getting me Larry Niven, far above and beyond what I would have expected this year coming back to our first con. It was really cool to get to talk to him. And, of course, I got my God Wheel signed up. 
I got my uh, my introductory book that was kind of like the retailer um, insight about the upcoming Ultraverse, uh, where it's like the sneak peek of all the different stories coming on with release dates and who's writing what. And so I got him to sign that because he's uh, credited on the first page of that book, as yep. well as my copy of God Wheel Zero got signed. Only after did I realize I forgot my trade paperback God Wheel <laughs> to get to get marked up. But now I've got to chase him down next time, I guess. <laughs> Ask him more about the archers. <laughs> Find him. Yes. But uh, beyond some of the creators and things like that at the fest, uh, there was also Ultraverse abounding out in the, the show floor with some merch out there. Uh, overall, it was mostly just a couple of uh, like limited edition 5,000s is what we found a lot of, right? Like I saw some runes of that and um, I think some hard cases and only a couple of like the regular back issues in there. But, yeah, we saw a couple of back issues. I remember mostly the rune stuff. I don't know if I saw anything of a uh, hard case, or I don't recall anymore. It It's weird, because you never know what we're going to find. Because there have been times, even at San Diego Comic Fest specifically, where we've kind of fallen into a nice long chunk of like a lot of good stuff. I think that's even where we picked up Conan vs. Rune. Yep. And, th- mm-hmm. and that there were the two copies of it, so we each were able to just grab one so that we didn't have to share, which was even better. Um, but then there's other times where it's completely dried up because nobody's nobody has it or nobody brought it that day. Yeah. And then I mean, the, unfortunately, just because of our schedules, we were only able to attend for one day this year. So it was like it was all or nothing that Saturday. Had to ransack we best we could. Yeah. But but you got some nice takeaways from this con. I did. I don't think I got anything Ultraverse related, unfortunately. But that's because it's gotten to the point where it gets a lot harder for us to. Um, find anything that one of us hasn't already picked up but in terms of other things like yeah i I got some uh, cool blade runner stuff um and then i got a buckaroo bonsai comic book which i was very excited about i am a big fan of that film and so i like any any tie-in properties and stuff that go with that never seen it are you serious you didn't watch that with me (laughs) oh man i've seen that so many times we did a movie night on it on the best damn nerd. No, that was uh, James Davis and I. We did. The, oh man. Oh Mark, we have to watch that together. Never seen it. Don't. don't all right. Well, now <laughs> don't watch it until I'm with you because I want to be there when you watch it for the first time. It's a wonderful movie. <laughs> it's so funny because we were just talking about Doc Savage before the show started. It's it's not loosely based on that or anything, but it kind of has some of those same like motifs or whatever. Where like you kind of have this Renaissance man as the leader. And then, like, his collection of, like, uh, geniuses and just, like, great men and stuff is, like, this team of heroes. And it the movie, it's full throttle. It, it just jumps you right into their universe, and you have to just sort of roll with the bunches. So it's, like, they sort of tell you what's established, and we just go from there. And it has to do, like, with an alien invasion and everything like that. For anybody who doesn't know, it's The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. It's an 80s cold classic. Um, uh Robocop Peter uh, Weller's uh, Buckaroo Banzai. I'm trying to think who else is in it. Uh, John Lithgow is one of the villains. Um, Jeff Goldblum is in it. 
um ellen barkin is the love interest a, a lot and i'm i'm not naming enough people clancy brown is in it like lots of great people are in it um, so it's kind of like rip fire it's just like a nice average guy surrounded by alien shenanigans no 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 uh Bucker is the greatest <laughs> of them all he's a rock star a scientist uh martial arts expert like he's he's everything he's he's our greatest hero he's our greatest scientific mind and matt mckinney he's, um he, he's like doc savage basically <laughs> except for obviously he's not all bulked up like doc savage think more like the comics of doc savage prior to um the man of bronze novels mm. he's like that but yeah like um yeah he has samurai stuff like i mean it, it can be more fantastic outside of the movie the movie of course isn't like so outrageous you know as far as like action scenes and stuff go but like the idea of what it is that he's capable of yeah uh, and i don't want to say anything else because i don't want to spoil it for you but um Oh boy, I can't wait to watch it with you now. That's terrific. All right. <laughs> I forgot that you haven't seen it yet. Oh, wonderful. So, uh, how was the comic? Oh, um, <laughs> the, the comic is good. I don't, I don't. I'll let you borrow the. You know what? When we go, when we watch the movie, I'll bring the comic with me. But it's cool because, like I said, what you can't do in the movie, you can kind of do a little bit more in the comic. So it's a little more um, exciting, I guess. Uh, like the movie is. It's still very entertaining, but it doesn't have like as many wild action scenes, except for towards the end a little bit with the shootout. But um, yeah, the the comic book can kind of play back or play into the universe a little bit more. And then what was also good about the comic, and I don't know if there's any others, but it's like the the first one, so it sort of you know kind of gets things set up and ready. Mm, okay. Yeah. That sounds fun. There, listeners. Maybe we should all have a Buckaroo Banzai movie night. <laughs> we haven't done it at some point. Yes. I'd like to re-listen to that episode. Davis was not a fan. <laughs> at all. Nice. Well, yeah, I too did not grab anything Ultraverse related at uh, San Diego Comic Fest. I tried. Yep. Uh, but the Ultra 5000 of like Rune, which is something I don't have... Uh, was I think like eight bucks and I couldn't bring myself to do it. Yeah. Now I'll pay eight bucks for a foil, uh, and I paid much less than that for a foil. I think at at Comic Fest, our our very first year, we found someone with a dollar bit dollar bin full of hard case silver foils, which was wild. Wild. Oh, those were the days. But uh, eight bucks for a helped us with, uh, with the Ultraverse a lot. That's where we started doing our trading card collection and everything like that. Yeah, because we found a whole bunch of unopened packs. It's like, all right, let's oh, just. Oh, and open. the five hundred four figures. Yeah, man, San Diego Comic Fest has been good luck for us. The fest provides for sure. <laughs> Usually, but this year it did not. Uh, that's why we got old Uncle eBay out there. Um, <laughs> so, again, that, I think that's a good segue to get into Ultra Bucks here. Uh, but San Diego Comic Fest had an absolute blast. Uh, cannot recommend enough going and checking out this show, listeners. If you find yourself in San Diego, uh, San Diego Comic Fest is is a great festival that kind of kicks around every spring. So, we'll definitely revisit again. But moving on to Ultra Bucks here, because I do have. Something I've added to the collection that I'm actually really excited for. I have had my eyes on something of this kind for a while. Um, because it just screams collector to me. Um, everyone loves a good trading card. 
like we talked about, <laughs> right? And I finally got one of the framed up limited edition Skybox Master Series four card frame pieces. So this was a special Ultraverse edition for the debut of the Master Series by Dave Dorman. Uh, it features cards of Heater, Solitaire, Mantra, and Sludge uh, matted on blue, framed up in a gold frame. I got number 430 of 2,000 on this. And it's just a super cool wall piece to put up. Um, you know, uncut cards, all pretty in prestige uh, for, for some wall functionality. I'm, uh, I'm pretty stoked. Very nice. Dude, anything I didn't know that's... that you had picked up anything new. I did. I did. <laughs> um, and, and I'm pumped on anything that's numbered like that. I get... Yeah, that's right up your alley. I geeked on it. Man, you really are a collector. Yeah. Limited 5,000. No thanks. Out of 2,000? Hmm. Okay. So. <laughs> the Drake meme. Yeah. So now I'm really interested in uh, who has earlier versions than me. Mine's only 430. I want to know who's That's in the top bad, 50. All right. So, listeners, if you're out there and you too have one of these Dave Dorman Master Series framed dealer promo things. Let me know. Write into ultramonthlypodcast at gmail.com. Share your experience and, more importantly, what number you got. Because for now, I'm thinking I have the uh, the freshest of them all. 430. Oh, let's not get carried away here. Uh, it just might be the freshest of them all. Might be the freshest of them all. It's the freshest of them all. I don't know. I bet there's a couple 700s out there. Maybe someone in the thousands. I got that low print number. I wouldn't be surprised if number 276 is listening as we speak. Oh, right in. Right in, 276. Let me know. I, I feel like on and the Facebook... feel bad. Yeah. Immediately throw this trash. Um, <laughs> I feel like we need to open a, a sub-list on the, on the Ultraverse page on Facebook, uh, which again, listeners, if you're not a part of it, check out the Ultraverse page on Facebook. It's a great group. But I feel like we should start a list on there of everyone tracking who has what number. <laughs> it would be kind of cool to just see. Sign up. Who has it? What exists? What's it's out there? still owned and cherished by people. Yeah. I need photos of the owner holding up with the limited re- edition sticker and today's newspaper for proof. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I like my Master Series frame pro. <laughs> And that's my uh, that's my ultra bucks. That's my ultra bucks this month. I love it. I love it. Yeah, super neat. Whenever it's something just outside of the book norm, I I really like it, especially when it looks cool. I feel those are probably your best ones. I love the the slammer jammers, obviously, because nothing's more '90s than that. And then um, I'd say your official comic book art. Is yes. possibly the most cherished. Also, just because of um, what it is that you specifically collected. It's not just any random panels. Mm-hmm. I've thought about it. I've definitely come across some Ultraverse uh, original arts that were pretty low for art. Pretty obtainable, you know, in like the $30 to $50 range. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's like... Yeah, here's like crowd shot panels from Solitaire. I'm like, no, I'm okay. Yeah, see, you're like, getting what you pay for, unfortunately, at that point. And it's like, yeah, that that tells me nothing. But like Doc Rose? Yeah. It's like, now we're talking. Little Ghoul? Death of Bloodbath? Little yeah, Casino? 
hey, listen, we're not kicking Casino out. Love Casino. Uh, a mm-hmm. little debut of Blind Faith. And the, big fan. the Coup de Gras. I still, I, I don't think I've actually shared it to the group on Facebook. I know I mentioned it here on the show, but the death of Tinsel. It's a heartbreaker, man. Oh, still need to get that one framed up in here. It is. I was going to say, I don't remember ever getting to see it. Or if I did, it was just you holding it up for me. <laughs> like, look at it. Look at it. <laughs> Get this out of my face, Mark. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll share that on the Facebook group again. Because um, I think that's long overdue. And just a beautiful, beautiful panel. Really proud of that one. It's odd-shaped paper. That's, yeah. It is not a right. standard 11 by 17 or 12 that's by 18. Right, yeah. It's a 11 and a half by like 17 and a half or something weird. Yeah, where you got to do more of like a custom job. Yeah, I got to get a little matting to it. So. Mm. That's not so bad, though. That'll look good once it's up and running. Yeah. So, there we go. Ultra Bucks. <laughs> it's just a shame all that Superman stuff is being taken down and your office is being controlled by the Ultraverse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listeners, well, if you have Harper has not yielded any ground though. No, two full shelves. Yeah. Um, listeners, if you have any prize possessions in your collection, write in. Tell us about them. Jump on now to the conversation at ultramonthlypodcast at gmail dot com, and uh, you can be featured on the slings and arrows portion of our podcast. So, moving on out and into the ultra focus this evening and that is on ripfire the alien biker badass that is ripfire uh so little details uh behind the book this was uh created by Derek robertson of of course the boys that we're a fan of and here in the ultraverse nightman uh put that together uh this was a character he created and was originally featured in ultraverse premiere uh, which started back in March of 94. Uh, it was in the first issue of Ultraverse Premiere, and as that book ran, you got little snapshot vignettes of different stories, so this was a three-parter released through that, as well as in um, January of 95, it was actually collected into a zero issue for Ripfire that included a special backstory that was exclusive to this and that was uh, called rest stop uh where you know our man fights a bunch of biker nazis which is you know okay um <laughs> but so yeah created by Derek robertson and we get thrown right into the fray jeff give me a little snapshot here uh rip fire who's matt matt is just uh matt um, mckinney oh yeah matt mckinney um he's just you know Teenage boy, like punk rocker, him and his friends hanging out in Arizona, uh, celebrating. Well, I, I guess the, the beginning of the comic is him actually already in the shit. And, and then it's told through flashbacks. So he's on the run. Uh, he's not in control of his own body. There's some sort of alien entity that is sort of running the show like a puppeteer and is somewhat rude to Matt. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you thought he was rude. <laughs> He was he was very placating and um, cordial when he was asking permission to use his body, and then afterwards uh, he flipped the script. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we we get these goons, you know, celebrating because they just beat up a bunch of rednecks or something. Uh, I, I get mad vibes of like just Point Break, really like football. yeah, 
<laughs> but I get a lot of vibes of like the uh, the surfer kids from Point Break uh, with 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 Bodie and everyone oh, God, hanging man. out around the bonfire partying and and um, yeah, all of a sudden you know Matt has to go take Leak and there's a bunch of alien ships and he he and a bunch of his friends get abducted and. You know, ever since then, he's never had control of his body again. Yeah, the aliens were asking for permission to use their bodies because they needed it if they were going to be on Earth. And they kind of talked about, like, you know, their backstory and them, you know, being on the run and, and needing to fight and everything. And uh, Matt and all his friends basically all all said yes. <laughs> yeah. They're like, deal. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of goofy kids yeah the, better. the alien that uh, ended up interacting with Matt Chiar turns out to be like the leader of this this group of aliens and basically explains that, you know, these, uh, I think it was like three alien vessels that they come across uh, have voyaged from a dead world carrying the consciousness of their entire race to a new place that they can live in harmony with. But in order to do so, Matt and his friends should have to give up their bodies to be inhabited by these aliens. And if they did that, uh, you know, as like a, a good act of goodwill sort of thing like hey take us in refugee sort of status uh you would be revered as gods and so matt was like hell yeah dude sign me up <laughs> uh, not even realizing the full scope of it and ever since non-stop battle going on and you're right it's a lot of like hey come on help us out we're, we're looking we need help we, we want to live in harmony we want to do this and uh, ever since then, when when you know the shit hits the fan, Matt's basically just not even really backseat driving; he's just backseat <laughs> screaming. Yeah, it, he's kind of just like an audience to what's going on. Mm-hmm. Come on, though, two souls, one body. Let's become gods. Would you take the deal? I mean, I'd think about it. I'm not gonna lie, but uh, no. Overall, having to surrender control of your body, it's like, ee, sorry, like I, I don't even have like a list of references for you, Gr. Like uh, I don't know. I'm just taking you at uh, your word's value. Like no, right? Yeah, it, it reminds me of um, you know, I'm really big into Stargate right now, Stargate SG One to be specific, and uh, you didn't buy that action figure. Overpriced, but turns out actually collector market at the right price, but. <laughs> I wasn't going to buy a, what was it, $40 for a Teal'c that I was going to give to my five-year-old that's going to lose an arm in like two weeks. You you couldn't explain to the guy. It's like, no, you don't understand. We're going to actually play with it as a toy, as it was built and designed to be. But it's like, this isn't going to just sit on a wall somewhere. Yeah. I don't consider this an investment. I consider I'm just buying an action figure. I want to buy an action figure. I don't buy $40 action figures for my five-year-old. That sounds silly. Um, but <laughs> in Stargate, the the big bads of the world and the mythos there is the Gould, which is a, a parasitic alien that takes over the host, subjugates them, so the host is still alive and kicking and screaming in the head, but can't do anything. Complete surrender of body, and they are literally revered as gods. So if, if you're not familiar with Stargate and, and, and the mythos there... Or if you've just seen the movie Ra, he was an alien ghoul, right? It plays off the whole Egyptian aliens, pyramids, spaceships thing. Love Stargate. But <laughs> this is very reminiscent of that. Like, 
let this alien in and then now you're just there at their whim i don't know man it's it's kind of creepy and then just like you know everything goes bad like immediately it seems as far as uh discontent between the group the the brutal way that they establish like authority you know and he's he's watching himself beat the shit out of one of his best friends because it's actually fighting each other yeah bizarre that was I. I did kind of like how they were starting to put that together because then you started learning more about the um, alien hierarchy. So, yeah, the aliens show up because they want peace, right? And immediately the coward Clyde, Jeff, he, he's one of the unlucky who doesn't get abducted, and he immediately runs off to call the cops. So a cop comes, shows up in the middle of the desert, seeing all these ruffians running around a fire, painting each other's bodies, <laughs> right? Like some weird S going on. Yeah. And immediately, uh, the alien Chiron, who took over his friend Martin, uh, shoots and kills this officer. Freaks out when the cop shows up and kills Oops. this guy, which is a bad first step in presenting their new world as friendly travelers. And so that's why, like you said... Chiar, who is a, you know, possessed Matt, uh, and Chiron, the possessed Martin, end up having to fight because it's a challenge of authority. Like, like, no, you're doing the wrong thing to lead our people, and so they go to like battle to the death, uh, fisticuffs in a ring of honor with everyone's backs turned to them. Uh, what what do you think of the ceremonial back turned ring? I actually thought that was kind of cool. Um, I think it's just more, more the jarring experience of uh, <laughs> now this is a, my relationship with my friends because none of us are each other anymore. Mm-hmm. But uh, any of that stuff as like, far as like... That's the, my old friend! The alien ceremony. Yeah, well, just imagine what that like it looks like. From your perspective, you're watching your fists crash into your best friend's face as he, he's being brutalized on the ground. Like It's just very surreal. Yeah. You know, it's like a very different culture. And, and we're learning that fast. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is like you don't really know what all happens uh, in the end, too, because like you mentioned, there's a lot of back and forths in these flashbacks. And especially since these are kind of the vignettes told in, I don't know, seven page intervals because it's in the backups of Ultra vs. Premiere. Yeah. Um, it's even more kind of fragmented jumps in between the snapshots of present time battle of whatever's going on versus the flashback of what's happening with the aliens and the friends. Um, But at one point they jump back and forth as almost as if the action in the, the present is too much. And Matt is battling Chiar mentally to say like, no, stop, stop killing these soldiers. Cause it turns out it's like army soldiers or something Yeah, that like you had mentioned, Matt's like, be quiet. No, not no, sorry. Chiar to Matt's consciousness. Like be quiet. It's my body now. We're doing this. Yeah, every time you do shit like this, it sort of throws me off a little bit. Yeah. It's like, you're not getting control of your body, but you're like slowing down my reaction time. Yep. And in one of the flashbacks, when when Martin and Matt are fighting, like we're talking about, uh, they do a pullback right as Chiron's about to like attack, and you're pulled back to the, the front where you see like possible dead bodies and glimpses of hands and things like that, and you know none of his friends are around, and it makes you start wondering, like, oh, crap. You know, did he kill his friend? Yeah, what the Martin? hell happened? What happened here? Exactly. Um, so not until we get into the third part where that battle kind of continues. And uh, we learn that 
Chiron's not killed in this moment. Martin's not killed. But Chiar definitely gets the upper hand and learns a little bit of human bloodlust, uh, which which is like euphoric and, and really wants to kill Martin until Matt is able to take just the tiniest of control back over his body to cause enough pause for Chiar to stop, not kill Martin. And it really just more pisses off Chiar than anything, I think. 100%. You know, that's when they realize then that the cop that was shot has ultimately been killed. Reinforcements are on the way, and then basically everyone's to scatter again. This can only mean that the time is for peace has passed, and that the aliens must now fight to ensure their survival is this big thing, right? And we don't ever see what kind of happens because in all the the flashbacks, you know, going on, he's battling with his friends and you know it's time to fight now and that's obviously where the present day is is the reinforcements and the military showed up and they've been in all-out war battle but you don't see anyone else except for matt and she yeah yeah you don't know if he's been separated or if everybody else is already dead and i mean I, and it was one of those things where even matt you know because it's almost like this sleep state like he wasn't you know, he was just sort of like remembering these things and snippets. You know, it wasn't even making sense to him anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of like a deep sleep state. Just a nightmare. Yeah, really a nightmare. Because, yeah, he, he can feel and experience all of it. Mm-hmm. He's just not in control of any of it. That was the other thing, too. It's like, you know, Chiar, obviously, it's much more like mechanical how he approaches things. It's like, oh, I need sustenance. And so he's just like eating a rabbit raw. And it's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not signing up for that. <laughs> no, thank right. you. I don't I know need what that feels or tastes like. Cheeseburgers. <laughs> yeah. But... I'll do the Star Kid healthy cheeseburger ball again rather than uh, mm-hmm. eat a rabbit raw off the ground. Mm hmm. But, uh, you know, this whole interaction with, you know, the killing of the cop, and so now there's no turning back, and it's all-out war, all that, and now it's a fight for survival, right? When the whole thing starts as, we've come here to survive, and we have, you know, a library index of our species to come here and live peacefully, no, it's all-out war for survival. Now, in an alien invasion, when the first human is killed, is there really no going back? Or can this be reasoned out? I mean, it can be reasoned out. Uh, well, I don't really understand how we got from like point A to point like F or wherever we're at right now. You know, there is that in between. But I feel like the way we could have come back from that first cop kill is we have to disappear and we have to make it where, you know, anybody who was like around in this area were no longer like near. Because they're like, what, in Arizona? Mm-hmm. They gotta flee to another state. They've gotta start all up again and and try to interact with the human race like on a new first step, right? Because because I don't know if you come back from that that dead cop. And then the thing is that story, you know how it how it was at that point. That's not gonna go anywhere. It's like okay, you know, a, a cop was killed. And it's like that. I mean, it happens, you know, and that doesn't mean that there's an alien invasion, right? But things have clearly spiraled out of control. Now we're at a point where, no, we're not going to be able to to reconcile yeah, if, or if reconnect. You... Also, like this Earth, there, there's too many other aliens and super-powered beings like jockeying for position. You know, it's like, you think Rex Monday's going to allow these guys to just show up and everything's going to be okay? You know how he feels about things that aren't in the norm. Mm-hmm. That aren't him. Yeah, I, I will say, I, I like that 
this one's kind of pulling in like legitimate, legitimate like aliens, right? Yeah, because exactly. <laughs> there's not a lot of aliens. There's a lot of alien adjacent kind of things with you know the jumpstart effect and the entity from Breakthrough. I was gonna say alien entity and then like uh, like dimensional beings, right? Things like that, like, like with Boneyard and stuff. Because but... even Godwheel, I mean, technically it's a place in space, right? Yeah, so, um, I mean, like, yeah, like, Lord, well, Lord Pumpkin's not even a normal alien because he was that magic construct, but, yeah, I mean, his, his like, knights and stuff like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as far as, like, full-on books diving into that on, on the reg, uh, not so much. Well, and that's why, like, Ripfire, I'll be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of this, but the just the idea of it, the premise... I think is outstanding and I think it could have worked as a television series Stargate work as a movie. Yeah. But I mean, (laughs) even just like this exact story, like with the kids, you know, allowing their bodies to be taken over and then the trials and tribulations of what that means. Like, I I think this really could have worked and it would have been, you know, kind of interesting to see. It's like evil power Rangers characters. Wait, what? It's like evil power Rangers. Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah, I mean, if Zordon was like in control of what it is that they did or something like that, I guess that would be the case. Or, you know what, I guess uh, Evil Tommy Saga. There you go. He wasn't really in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's there's definitely some, some and then good concepts more, like the relationships between the characters and stuff. I'll be honest, don't, don't uh, get upset with me too much for it, but I could have seen this as like a... Um, a show on freeform or something like that, where it would have been more like girl drama type show. And then you cast very attractive young actors oh. and actresses as these characters. I'm glad you said that. Cause actually it could have been a very successful series that way. One of the questions I have. Yeah. All right. Debbie or Jasmine, who are you shipping? Debbie is the, uh, the girlfriend of, Matt's with the alcoholic father that everyone makes fun of. Yeah. And Jasmine is that hot piece that is possessed by Claire, who is the the right hand of Chiar, who clearly is crushing on your boy Matt. So I'm going Jasmine because Jasmine actually does like Matt. Right? Yeah. Jasmine likes Matt. So young. They don't all have to uh, stick with their initial like love interest or whatever, and see that would have progressed in the story, and then obviously the connection between Chiar and yeah, yeah, it's spelled Claire, but like it's a weird Claire, you know. Yeah. Um, it would have let Matt realize that's like you know what, maybe uh maybe the most important one was the one in front of me the entire time. Matt, you've been acting different ever since you went to that bonfire. Matt, what's wrong? <laughs> you don't know me anymore, Debbie. <laughs> And yeah, Debbie with her father and stuff like that. It's like, I don't know. I'm a kid. I don't have time to deal with uh, with all the drama and shit in your life. <laughs> I'm shipping jazz. Yeah, I, I like her <laughs> a lot, actually. So I yeah, can see I this. Like yeah. You, you, you can see oh. how the story progresses. It would work great. You're thinking of, like, Roswell. Yeah, kind of. Roswell that was, was what, back fantastic. when WB still existed. Yeah, it, it, this mm-hmm. definitely could have fit on the WB as well. I don't know if the CW really has shows like this anymore. Isn't CW now just the Arrowverse? Um, I think a lot of that's been getting chopped anymore. off. Yeah. yeah. They do a lot of different fun things. And the yeah, 100. They still have stuff like that. This easily could have been a CW show as well. The 100? Yeah, you can get some brutality in there. Oh, yeah, I guess. That, yeah, actually, yeah, that would work. 
Yeah, and you kind of do it that way. Mm-hmm. Except for you even play up more. Well, I mean, the 100 had some pretty serious relationships. You do something like that. Yeah. I feel like Freeform almost had a show kind of like this. I remember seeing commercials. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see this kind of reanimated. There's something here. Getting a bunch of hot young people fighting in ritualistic battle. And just like the idea of, um, yeah, the aliens and then like them being caught up in something much bigger. And then you have the military is just sort of like your faceless, like, you know, enemies that you can deal with, but they're not bad, you know, and then you could have like more of a major big bad later. Mm-hmm. Military is more of like an obstacle. Yep. Always. Whenever a military is the eventual big bad, it always makes you kind of go, eh. Yeah, it's like, uh, is, is this what we've settled on? Yeah. Although, I mean, I am a fan of uh, the rogue high-ranking officer every once in a while. For sure. As we've seen. But, yeah, I mean, your regular rank-and-file guy, come on. Those guys just want, like, their college paid for. Yeah, very well indeed. Do you believe these aliens are actually good-intentioned? <sighs> I'm not a fan of these aliens. Hey, being they, said, they said they wanted a share. I do, <laughs> as long as they get the lion share, I suppose. I don't think they're necessarily like overly evil. But see, that would be one of the things I would have in my freeform television series. Is like, you know what? There would be some doubt, and we would be wondering about it. I believe the season finale of season one would have Martin, or not Martin, excuse me, Matt, uh, really suspecting that what he thought of Chiar is not true, and that they're evil. And then we would find out in season two, no, Matt, it, it's actually this other. Like entity or whatever is the real problem. We gotta reconcile with GR, and we're gonna have to, you know, save the day. Mm. No, I think it's more that um, they view the humans as you know a tool, and Matt and his angsty attitude and his conscience, his human conscience, are getting in the way of what it is that they need to do. Right. Like, so- imagine if every time you took a step, your genes were yelling at you. It's like, no, stop this. I need to get. I need to get to work. <laughs> he just has to get out of that crap town. No one wants to be here. Aliens the ticket out. That see, that is part of the reason why I was having trouble with this title is just some of the dialogue was like too much for me. I couldn't take it. Like I said, as far as their fight with those uh, the other Hick kids, and it's like although aren't they like all from that town? You're all Hicks as far as the rest of us are concerned. But as far as like, can't believe they didn't, uh, they got into a fight with us because we don't like football. And then it's like, oh, and that douche, his dad's the sheriff. And it's just like, ah, I can't handle this right now. This is like too stupid for me. I know those kids. <laughs> now I'm sure I've lived that life. <laughs> <laughs> I've always lived too close to the water. I think to have to deal with uh, too many groups like this, but I can't stand it. It's funny that you should bring out Point Break because I was thinking of um, the bonfire scene. In the Lost Boys, before all those people get massacred by the Oh, bonfires. yeah. That's who I was thinking of with uh, their little drink scene. I was like, I don't know. These bonfires never seems to go well for everybody. Mm-mm. Not at all. Everyone loves a good bonfire, though. I love a good bonfire, but I've never had anything bad happen to me at one. <laughs> so, at the end, we get uh, this whole... Some big epic battle transpired. Clearly, Chiar and Matt are the laugh duo standing, it seems. And it's right off into the sunset time, right? Uh, we're, we're presented with them going over, realizing that all their friends seem to be missing. And, and Chiar goes over, 
grabs Matt's motorcycle and rides off into the sunset in pursuit of actually living out his dream of peace, almost like he's renegade or something. And <laughs> great series. This is where we get the final reveal that his bike's name is Ripfire. <sighs> Name the bike Ripfire. You're Matt. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Come on, that's a cool name. I'm not saying it's not a cool name. It's just, I don't know. I just don't know about any of it. It's a pretty cool name. He's one of five uh, fire named characters in uh, the Ultraverse. I love that you did the uh, <laughs> the investigation on that. You, you did the research to see how many fire characters there were. <laughs> There's plenty of other characters fire honest, related to. I imagine that there were more. Yeah. It's a little lower than I actually thought. You got Firearm, you got Second Firearm, you got Foxfire, Second Foxfire, and then Ripfire. There you have it. But uh, Motorcycle, named Ripfire. So I don't know when the name actually gets adopted as Ripfire, though, because it's not like he rides off and he's like, I am Ripfire now. You know? Well, that's another thing, too, is uh, who says that he ever does adopt the name? I mean, that is just the name of the title, and then it really has more to do... Like and that's just a reference to the motorcycle, but uh, so it's more maybe... about the bike, and each installment someone else riding the bike. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? It's like Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. The bike and then whoever rides the bike. <laughs> maybe that's where we were going with this. It's just a possessed bike with because an alien entity. Like he's not really a superhero, and he's not going to be a superhero. So who says that he needs any sort of code name to begin with? Maybe that is also why they had to name the motorcycle Ripfire. It's like, well, it wouldn't make sense for them to call themselves Ripfire. So what else right. are we going to call Ripfire? I mean, he knows his name Unless is Matt, the share of mind. The name of like, the fusion between the two beings, but then that doesn't really make sense. Mm. Uh, you did bring up a question, though. I mean, is Ripfire, Chiar Matt, actually a hero? Uh, no, they, they don't do anything heroic. <laughs> I mean, in book one, I guess, right? Yeah. These first three chapters. It's more them just reacting to things. I, I don't I don't think they're heroes, per se. Not in this, anyway. It's not, not even really a victim, either. Yeah, no, I mean, it, we really are just, like, following his his life and just that that brief window yeah i mean he's the protagonist obviously of the story but i wouldn't call him a hero i don't think he's a superhero or i don't think he's yeah being heroic or doing anything really that that good yet uh, i mean and then when he beat up the bikers that was almost more like uh that was more like happenstance you know yep. it was those bikers couldn't help themselves but uh start shit with this kid yeah and it was their last mistake yep so that's in the the fourth part of issue zero the rest stop which was a special thing. He's basically on the road, headed to L.A. Uh, Matt convinces Chiara, like, yeah, let's get food. It's overrun by Nazi bikers. And he's all about letting them Nazi do their bikers. things until they touch his sacred alien blade. And that's when he snaps and basically wrecks shop, saves a woman from getting raped, which is, you know, hero-ish. I mean, it's hero-y. Yeah, yeah I mean, that, that is a good deal, It's good. But I don't, like, I almost feel like that just ended up happening you know what i mean right and it's just kind of like not like he would have stopped it intentionally it's like oh you know what like i'm already beating these guys up so now you just happen to not get raped because of it yeah so maybe that's like his first taste of trying to be good if matt was in control of all of this then yes he's definitely going to end up doing heroic things because matt's not a bad kid he's a good kid 
Um, but I don't, I don't think she gives two shits. You know what I mean? So it depends how much control Matt would be able to exert. Because now I'm thinking about it. It's like, yeah, Chiar, like, if they didn't touch the blade, like, Chiar didn't want to, you know, even interact with anybody. Right. He's going to eat his food because he needed calories, you know, so they could burn energy. And yeah. then, you know, it's like, I'm out of here. But hey, you know, he did get rewarded with a, a free burger. So maybe, you know, since he doesn't have a job or nothing. Now that Chiar understands, like, ah, customs and yes. stuff. Like, oh, okay. Do good, free food. I can do this. <laughs> well, and then if he goes to L.A., I don't know, maybe you would have run into Hard Case, and you know what an inspiration he is to everybody else, so why not rip fire? That man is dynamic and energizing, I will say. Exactly. He's Captain America and Superman. Follow Tom one. Hawk anywhere. I would. No. Yeah. <laughs> so who would you have liked to see a rip fire interact with? Oh, well, that's a good question. Um... Oh, Mantra. Yeah. Totally Mantra. You're possessed. Uh, I'm it, possessed. It, I mean, how much do you... Yeah, exactly. How, uh, how funny <laughs> is that? You know, it's like you sort of get where we're coming from. Um, and then also I feel just like the supernatural aspect of it. Like it would have been interesting to see them team up or whatever. Um, and then maybe uh, if Lucas would be able to understand like some of the struggle and strife that Matt was feeling... Um, then that would leave him at the end of the issue kind of feeling doubt. It's like, is that how everybody always felt with uh, me taking over their bodies too? Because I don't know how that guilt doesn't catch up with you eventually, especially with how disposable some of those bodies were for Lucas. That's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There if were he's a couple of times in his life where he really hopped from like one to the other. I'm thinking of like that World War II situation and everything like that. And it's like, dude, you were in that guy's body for you know like a couple of hours. Yeah. And his last one before he became Mantra. It's you ruined that poor man's life, you know, and then took it. And his uh, wife was it's completely disposable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're these are human beings. These I, are human I wonder beings. if that would be a download like an it because it, it had to be an interaction of Lucas as Mantra conversing with Chiar as Matt. And then either Chiar, you know, passes on like, no, we're here for peace and to live symbiotically with our hosts and we and we want to do right by them this is a peace thing whereas lucas is like i just want this body and to hit it you know um (laughs) and he learns that way or lucas has the conversation and realizes wait you're possessing someone else's body that poor guy you're some crazy alien in there. Well, and I'm just then, like to self-examine. Pick up on like what Matt is saying. It's like and Matt's like, I don't really like this deal anymore. This isn't going well, and Chiar's doing a lot of you know questionable things according to my moral compass. Oh, like Eden communing with Matt both in the recess. That would be great too. See, and then like, hmm. and maybe Eden could even help Matt out then because she's made a lot more peace with it. Well, and I mean. Lucas isn't as bad. Either. Before she disappeared, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he does a better job of at least attempting to be a mother. Actually, if you think about it, how Lucas was in the very beginning of Mantra is very much more like Chiar. And then he becomes more sympathetic to, you know, her life and everything like that. You know, at first, he just tries to pawn off the kids on the ex-husband uh, or, or her mother. You know, it's like. He's only like eating well because he's got to stay in shape so he can like fight and also continue to be like seductive. Like it's a lot of like bizarre stuff like that. But then you know he's like, okay, I actually have to take care of these kids and I'm learning to actually like these kids and you know take care of her life. Hmm. I mean, we did only get one issue essentially. That's what I'm saying. The, the potential for this 
you know, is very high. It's just I wasn't a huge fan of how it started off. Yeah. And I, I, I don't really – I don't like the characters that much. I don't find them that likable. I think Matt's kind of a tool. And Chiara I absolutely am not a fan of. That's it. If anything, I like Matt more just because of how much I don't like Chiara. Consent should be able to be revoked. And, well, you know, and I knew that's exactly the kind of thing that Matt wasn't thinking about when he said yes. Yeah. So, you know, I am excited to see where this leads, though, because I think there's a lot of unanswered questions about the friends and where else he can go and actually turn into, like, a hero of sorts. And yep. so the good news there is that Rip Fire does return. This was, in fact, only the beginning. Uh, Post-Black September we are treated to more Ripfire in All New Exiles and Ultra Force Volume 2. Uh, I believe it's the closeout of the series there is where we finally get him issues 11 through 15. And uh, something to be explored on a future edition here of the Ultra Monthly Podcast. I'm looking forward to it. Like, I'm, I'm not opposed to seeing more Ripfire. I just, uh... Well, you're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a shame where it is that he pops up again. Those are those are the sad Ultraverse titles. It makes me feel bad. I don't know. I'm pretty pretty excited to cross that Black September line, although we, it's mm. still a ways off for us, to be all honest here. But, uh, I listener... I want to stay with the beginning and all the potential of the Ultraverse before Marvel ruins everything. <laughs> That's just what the internet tells you. <laughs> Time to free <laughs> think. Time to free think. Who are you, Chiar? No, I'm mad, apparently. I'm think for yourself. For <laughs> uh, listeners, what did you two think of Ripfire? Send in your thoughts and comments where you would have liked to see him go and evolve as a character to ultramonthlypodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll read those here on the next installments of the Ultra Monthly Podcast. So that wraps up our Ultra Focus there. And uh, before you know, we, we end up signing off here... Uh, there, there is something that happened in the comic book world that bears weight and, and must be mentioned and observed. And that is, of course, the, the passing of the late and great George Perez uh, passed away earlier this month at the age of 67 from complications from pancreatic cancer. And um, there was actually a, a great article, uh, you know, I'll say it, CBR put out a, a great article on the passing of George about his legacy and, and a bunch of his work and, and early on through the end of what he had done um, that I'll have listed in the show notes for people to check out. It's a nice commemoration of all the work that he did there, but George Perez to, to fans and listeners of the show, of course, know him locally as our artist on breakthrough and Ultra Force and Ultra Force Avengers. Um, of, of course, you know, that's neat for us and, and beautiful work, just the way he crams characters onto a page. Nobody does it better. And he did that time and again with Crisis on Infinite Earths with JLA, uh, Avengers crossovers with Infinity Gauntlet. Um, for myself, I mean, his work on New Teen Titans creating Cyborg, Starfire, Raven, Deathstroke, Vigilante, uh, his his retooling of Wonder Woman um, for her, her newer mythos in the 80s uh, are all just huge, huge contributions to, to the medium, 
and and pop culture for us. And I appreciate George, you know, rest in peace. I, I think it was amazing everything he did there. So something I, I want to bring up and encourage people to go check out is that George was very involved with the Hero Initiative. And that if you don't know what this is and not familiar with it, the Hero Initiative basically creates a financial safety net for comic creators who may need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. Uh, since the inception, the Hero Initiative has been fortunate enough to benefit creators with uh, more than a million dollars worth of much-needed aid fueled by contributions. It's a chance for all of us to give something back to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. Uh, so it's it's a nonprofit. Uh, donates money and helps get people back onto their feet because a lot of artists and comic creators are independent contractors, don't have uh, over the years as many things set up like a lot of other traditional uh, jobs and structures. Um, and so this is a nice way to help these creators come along. In a Newsarama interview that, that George gave a while back, he's he was quoted as saying, uh, the Hero Initiative is one of my greatest sources of pride. I've been a member since its founding and back before with Actor. At one time, I was the single greatest fundraiser the charity ever had, and we've helped so many of my peers, and Hero Initiative has helped me. I'm grateful to them, and it's a nice legacy to have. Um, is just incredible. Uh, if if you follow along with with comic news i mean i'm assuming you probably do if you're listening to a podcast about comics from the 90s you might still <laughs> look at some things uh perez's work on again jla avengers uh this is dc and marvel who you know for all intents and purposes kind of like don't get along they it took him years to get this project going uh, in the first place and they actually did a reprint of that story for the first time in years for all the proceeds to go to hero initiative and, and, and help with, with George. Um, so there will be a link on the podcast notes to, to go check it out at www.heroinitiative.org. Uh, if you feel so, please donate. And, uh, that's it. Just wanted to give a shout out there. Rest in peace, George and, uh, listeners of the podcast. Again, send in your final thoughts. Uh, if you want to share any memories of George, if you had the pleasure of getting to meet him um, out there at any shows, send those in to ultramonthlypodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, if you haven't already, make sure to jump on now and subscribe to the Ultra Monthly Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio for all past and future episodes. So until next time, let's force it. Zip zap. Zip it a zap.